Hello and welcome to The Alchemical Mind. My name is Martin. Today, I have a special episode for you guys. I had a chance to talk to Justin Otto from the Dharma Junkie a couple days ago. He's already put the episode out. We're doing kind of a swap cast thing, so this is the same audio as his episode. If, if you already listened to that episode, you can, of course, skip this one. Coming up, I do have some fantastic stuff. On Monday, we'll have Mike from the Mind Escape podcast with a really interesting discussion about CBT. On Wednesday, Sean Cahill will be on the podcast. We're going to talk about consciousness, mysticism, unidentified phenomenon, etc. Really great discussion. Loved him. And then on Friday, we'll have Anthony Tyler, and we'll talk kind of about psychedelics and the mystical experience as we dive into some of that the week after. So really great stuff coming up. I hope you enjoyed this chat with Justin, though. I had a ball doing it. And uh, go subscribe to his podcast, Dharma Junkie. You will not regret it. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back in a couple days. How you been, man? <clears throat> I've been good. I've been good. It's been uh, it's been it's been a good day, good Monday. That's always good. It's better than uh, the alternative, right? Sure, sure. <laughs> look, Which there's one? no such thing <laughs> as a bad day, you know. That's true. It's man. all it's in a, how you look at it. It's a perspective thing. You got it. Absolutely. One hundred percent. Yeah, I've I've been listening to your podcast a little bit, man, and uh. I know we have a very much in common. We both kind of follow the Buddhist path and kind of try to practice mindfulness. I've, so I <laughs> wanted to talk to you about that. <laughs> I had this weird conversation with somebody about uh, the more you practice mindfulness and the more you really like follow the eightfold, the eightfold path, it's almost like a course in sociopathology. <laughs> mm. Or it can be viewed that way. I hear a lot of people like kind of view people that, you know, are really super mindful and try as it's almost like borderline sociopathology, but that's actually pretty fascinating that you mentioned that because my wife has called me a sociopath. Um, hmm. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what it is. It's something, it's something about the state of mind, right? Because for, I think the majority of the time people are used to, uh, they have an expectation of how, people are going to react to certain things, right? Right. And so when you don't react in the expected way, you end up coming off as a sociopath or right. as somebody that doesn't care, uh, as somebody that uh, you know, maybe has no, no care for others. I don't know. So, so yes, I, I guess sociopath is, uh, is a good, good word to use. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm okay with that, you know? It's uh, ultimately it's how you feel that you your outlook is right. Right. So I, I can understand why my wife or anybody else might have that idea of my reactions, but at the same time, like to me, a sociopath is, is somebody that would purposely go out and hurt somebody, right? right? And and there's no intention of that in me, right? I just have a very thorough way of, of looking at things and reacting to things. And it just doesn't fit in at a lot of times, I guess, with, uh, with the expectation. And, and that's okay. Right. That's okay. Yeah. I, I've, I've had the, uh, kind of the same experience. I've been called a uh, cold and emotionless at times. It's, like, oh, it's <laughs> not that I don't, it's not that I don't have emotions. It's just that I'm really good. I try to be as good as I can. I'm obviously not, perfect at it because who is but sure, i try to course. be is i try to analyze things before i just react you know 
Mm-hmm. I think that's the big thing, you know, with mindfulness, especially is just analyzing the situation before you react to it, giving yourself time to process. Because so many people are just quick to jump yeah. and just that first gut instinct, raw emotion, just, ah, you know, before they even really consider all yeah. the factors involved. And and you got to remember, too, whenever you any decision that you make, you'll never really have all the information you need to make the perfect decision. Right. Oh, absolutely. And so, like, yes, you can take a moment to stop and think about what you're going to say or, and how you're going to do this particular thing and how you don't. But ultimately, like, there is no right way of doing it, no wrong way of doing it. It's just a matter of taking the, the action to move forward, right? Exactly. Um, you know, the, the thing is always the, there's no past, there's no future, right? You, you always want to live in the present. That's kind of the, the mindfulness state that you want to be in. Right. And, and the reason for that is obviously you can't change your past. Right? And you can't predict the future. That's the future. And you never can't comes. Predict the future. But, but both of those things ultimately stem simply from that action that you take in the present moment. You see Absolutely. what I mean? Yeah. So it, it just, it's just branching off of that. So, you know, there's no point about worrying about what happened, what's going to happen. Just do the best that you can in the now. Right. And then the rest will follow. You know, it's, it's, it's a really tough attitude to have. Because people yeah. like to be in control. Oh, for sure. Yeah, just you got to just keep making that next right decision, basically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, like we were just saying, living in the now, and it is super hard for people to do because people are so, you know, caught up over what they perceive as like past transgressions and things of that nature. You know, they they let really affect them on a deep mm-hmm. visceral level for you know a an indeterminate amount of time. Some people, it can be days. Some people, it can be weeks. Some people, it can, you know, things can affect them for their entire lives. And it's interesting because, you know, the memory is not near 100% perfect. Like nobody remembers, nobody remembers things exactly the way they happen. So they kind of create these scenarios in their head that never really happened. And then they let them affect them for however long. And it's like, you're living in a reality that never even existed. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I, w- I was thinking about that today, actually, in terms of like a, a mystical psychedelic experience, mm-hmm. because uh, it seems like there's there's a lot of people that have similar experiences with certain substances. Right. But I almost feel like a lot of that has to do more with the fact that there's a previous expectation of outcome. And not so much that the experience is exactly the same, if that makes any sense. Right. So, right. you know, everyone, everyone's always thinks like, oh, if I do DMT, I'm going to see machine elves. Well, right. do you know that? Because you, you haven't done it. So that might not be true. Right. What if you never heard about machine elves? Would yeah. you still see machine elves? Right. Exactly. So I think, I think a lot of that is just a, a social conditioning in some way. And, and that's true of anything, man. Just even the, the topic we're just talking about mindfulness and and people feeling some kind of guilt like why why do you have that guilt right i think a lot of that is just simply due to the fact that you're you're conditioned to believe in certain things mm. in order for you to live a certain role within your society like even just your family right yeah and, and that translates to all experiences yeah yeah, for sure, man. And I, I I agree with that. Social conditioning is a huge factor in that. It, it's the the ideology that you were taught, you know, and mm-hmm. you don't know that something is, you know, when you're a blank slate, you don't know, quote unquote, right from wrong. You know what I mean? There is no right from wrong until you're 
guided into what is right and wrong. There's no, I don't think yeah. anybody has a, just a baseline morality. I mean, let's get down to brass tacks. We're all just animals. So, you know, without that conditioning, God knows what, you know, the world would be like. Yep. Yeah. And I think, you know, ultimately there would be some instinct, right? Uh, obviously it wouldn't be an ethical experiment to just throw a bunch of kids in an island, for example, right? right? Do like a Lord of the Flies and yeah. see what happens. <laughs> it would not be ethical. But, I mean, it, it is pretty curious as to what the outcome would be, right? Would there be, would it just simply be a matter of resolving the basic instinct and survival? Or would there be some tribal form that arises as a result of it? And and I don't think we'll ever get that answer, right? That's that's probably impossible to answer. Yeah, that's, but, a, that's a good question. Yeah, I mean, you you can't, what, what's the saying? No man is an island unto himself, right? Yeah. You you can't make any decision without being informed by your past in some ways. And and I think part of the whole aspect of mindfulness is in some respects trying to get over some of that programming. And this is not I, I, I hate using the word programming sometimes mm. because it comes off like uh you know, I like to use David Icke as an example in my podcast, right? <laughs> okay. It comes off as, you know, this this major conspiracy. We're like, there's some entity out to get people, and uh, and that's not it at all. Like a lot of the a lot of the program is just it's just natural, right? It's the way we just evolve and wait, create wait, wait. these, these so, cultures. Wait. So you're telling me that there's not lizard people out to get <laughs> <laughs> shit? I feel like I've been fucking living a lie. <laughs> no, no, I, I mean there might be. I, 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 mean, I don't hey, know. I've never I seen them. Yeah, I've I don't have the them. empirical data for that one. I just don't <laughs> I don't know if there's a god either, but. I just, don't know. I just don't That's know. That's true. I can't. I can neither confirm nor deny the existence of either. You can't. Exactly. So, so what do you do? Do you decide to believe it, or do you decide not to? That's uh, that's subjective. You know, and I think I think it depends on the person. I think it depends on all the the factors that that person has gone through throughout their life. Like, you know, nobody would be exactly who they are if they hadn't been through exactly what they've been through. Mm-hmm. The slightest little tweak to anything, you know, um, a phone call happening two minutes later, or it, just, it, it can be the most minor thing in the world. But if, if things hadn't happened exactly the way they had, you wouldn't be the exact person you are. You may not be doing mm-hmm. this podcast. We may not be having this conversation and things not played out in the exact manner that they did. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's hard to say, you know, there can be with one slight variation, you know, one little blow of, you know, gust of wind that, <laughs> didn't happen before everything can change. And that's yeah. the weird thing about reality is, you know, it, what it, I was listening to your, your episode that you did with uh, DJ Briggs. Oh yes. The, the last, I think it was the last yeah, one, that was, but yeah, that was really yeah. good, man. I, I enjoyed a lot of stuff about that one. Uh, one thing that really caught me was when you guys were talking about the, it was the, about the matrix, obviously, because that was basically the point of the whole episode, but it was a uh, simulation versus simulacrum. Yeah, that's uh, it's an interesting idea, uh, and I, I, again, I still don't remember which one is which. But one is basically a a copy of an existing system, and the other one is like a reenactment of a system. A simulation is like a, it's a um, an unsatisfactory imitation. Yes, you know, and a, a simulation is more like an an actual imitation of a situation. You know, not. 
So, so I think, you know, especially in terms of like the matrix, I, I would say that the matrix was more of a simulation than a simulacrum because even mm-hmm. though it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily unsatisfactory. It just wasn't the, the quote unquote reality of what was happening. But here's the interesting thing about that is until you wake up from that, you don't right. know that that's not reality. So, I mean, it's the Correct. same with dreams. Your brain experiences it the same way, no matter what a hallucinogenic experience, a mystical experience, anything like that. It doesn't matter whether you know, it, we'll use DMT as an example. A lot of people talk about, you know, this DMT dimension. You know, I've just had Dick Kahn on the show and we had a, a big conversation yeah, about that. Great and uh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. But your brain doesn't know the difference. If it yes. happens, it happens. You know what I'm saying? So who's to say what's real and what isn't? You know, if you experience it, whether you're opening some sort of chemical doorway in, into another dimension or whether you're just hallucinating some sort of archetypal bullshit. Either way, it's real to you. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, right? If, if, you, if you follow along with this whole mindfulness thing where you live in the moment and nothing else exists, right? either it hasn't happened or it hasn't come to be, whether you're in a psychedelic state having some kind of experience or simply living your everyday existence, ultimately, by definition, they're exactly the same thing, right? There's, there's virtually no difference aside from the fact that some people may argue like this is a physical reality that I can touch. Right. And if I'm having a hallucination, that's not true. And, and, you know, I, I had this conversation with my wife recently because uh, I'm trying to be a little more open with, with her about some of the experiences that I have mm-hmm. when I go into some of these states and again, not necessarily psychedelics, but right. you know, I can get into some pretty deep states, just purely right. meditation, meditation, as well. yoga, things yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, and so I was talking to her, like, how do you know that you just had a dream, right? Because right. when you're in the dream, that's your reality. It's exactly. only once you wake up from your dream that you realize that you were dreaming. And, and the same thing could be of this. Like, how do you know that right now you're not simply living in a dream? Yeah. This is kind of where you get the whole Buddhist idea, the Hindu idea of the world is an illusion, right? And and that's true because you don't know. Because what if maybe time evolves differently in in this particular state of existence, right? And so it might last eighty years, uh, but in when you wake up from the stream, it's only been you know a couple of hours. You yeah. don't know exactly because you're you don't you're in an altered state and you you experience time in a different way. And and when you're in a psychedelic state, that's that's also true. I mean, I've had experiences where, you know, it was a 20, 30 minute thing. And mm. I swear to you, like I was in there for, you know, 12 hours, 24 hours, two, three days. A thousand years. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had that. But but I have heard some really interesting ones where people live like entire lifetimes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did, have you, heard that, uh, did you hear that? Uh, I think it was Ari Shafir had that experience where it was a salvia and he had like a whole completely different life. And it was like kids and job and wife yeah. and all that. Yeah. That, that was interesting. And, and you know, that's the, a good example of that is that, yeah. that time dilation, but you know, like time is a construct anyway. So exactly. You know, the only way the human brain can understand time is linearly. Yeah. Which, which also makes it difficult to explain when you get into a mystical state, right? right? Because you you can't describe it from beginning to end, and and so how do you, you put those pieces together? And and to go back to to an earlier topic of of kind of creating this illusion around your reality, this is true when I think when people try to recall a, a particular psychedelic experience, because 
you know, when you're, I'll give you an example. So the first time I did mushrooms, I was like 19, right? Hmm. And, and I didn't take a whole lot. And I, I remember sitting on a stoop. We're in downtown New York and looking across the street and everything seemed fine. Right. Right. And all of a sudden I was looking at a car and it was like an accordion. Okay. So it's going back and forth, back and forth, but everything else was perfectly normal, right? Like nothing else was different. It was just this one car. Okay. When, when people talk about their, their their psychedelic experiences, their mushroom experiences, they describe like all this like globs floating up in space and like, you know, the ground becoming waves and, you know, trees start moving and coming to life. And I've never, I've never had an experience like that. And, and I've tried a lot of different substances, right? So you mentioned salvia. I've never done salvia. Uh, there's, You're not there's a couple much. of things. <laughs> I, I, listen, it depends who you ask. Because I've been in, t- in contact with somebody who loves salvia. Uh, this person does salvia multiple times a week. Oh, Lord. And it, it seems to me like an, a substance that I wouldn't want to experience. Same with, say, the, um, what's the other one that's similar? Doterra? Uh, oh, yeah, doTERRA yeah. kind of freaks me out, you know? Yeah. It's, it's one of those things you. where, yeah, we're, we're dissolving into this hallucination. It's just complete, right? Yeah. Where there's, where, when you're in that situation, you feel like there is no outside reality. Whereas, you know, as I was saying before, how do you know if you're in a dream? If you're in a dream, you kind of maybe know, especially if you try to do a little bit of uh, like lucid dreaming work and, and things like that. Right. But to be in that state, kind of worries me a little bit. Uh, you know, DMT, I would love to do DMT at least one time just to see, right? Just to see what the bus is about. Well, let me but, tell you, if, if that state worries you, perhaps don't do DMT. <laughs> because well, it, if you want to completely dissolve your reality, that's the thing to do it with. So, so interesting enough, I, you know, I, I've talked about this experience that I've, I've had, and I haven't told the full story at any point, but I'll, I'll get into a little bit here because I think it kind of goes with the subject. So. Uh, the, the the substance, oddly enough, is actually ketamine, which is not something that I generally hear anybody discussing about in terms of the potential for introspection. And, and I think the reason for that is ketamine is, I mean, it's, it's a very scary experience, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, you can become completely disassociated from yourself i mean it's a disassociated right that's the the category of chemical it is and so you you can completely lose a sense of self which in many respects when you try to explore your consciousness i think it's it's something that you definitely want right you want to see what you're like without a sense of ego at least i do right with the the type of work that i want to do for myself is is kind of how can i overcome all the things that i've been raised to be and, and how can I turn those things around and make them new? And so, and so I had this experience with ketamine, and, and it was a complete reality disillusion. And, you know, I've heard stories, the stories that the, the, the experience that I had sounded to me more like the experience most people have on a substance like right. Datura or DMT than anything that I've heard about from, from ketamine. And, and I don't know if, if some of that is the set and setting, which mm. I guess is one of the most important things, right? But I, I undergo a, like a, a two-day ritual, basically, to prepare myself when I do one of these things. And, and I try to do these rituals like every six to eight weeks. 
because it really helps me with just a lot of things in general. And it's not, it's not always ketamine. Uh, in fact, a lot of times it's, uh, it's mushrooms because I have cubensis that grows in my backyard, actually in the woods behind my house. Lucky that. Uh, so right now I don't have any, so I can't. Right. But, uh, you know, season's coming. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> but, but this ketamine experience was just, it was so crazy, right? The first, the first moment of it, I, I had a complete anxiety attack. Wow. Because I was laying in bed, and all of a sudden I felt like my eyeballs just kind of pulled back from my head. Mm-hmm. And just like I felt the sense of self just like in the back of my head instead of in the front of my face where I normally see it. Right. And, and I was like, what the hell's going on? And I, my body wasn't moving, but I could look around the room and I could look you know, through my bed. I could look behind me and my body's not moving. Right. And I'm telling you, that was the, the scariest experience that I've ever had until I realized like, wait a second. I'm I'm just having this psychedelic state. Like it's fine, right? I don't need to be freaking out. And and once I got over that is when I started going really, really deep. And and the things that I saw, like I I'm telling you, I feel like I had to have been having some kind of lucid dream just simply because of the fact that that experience I've never heard anybody have in a ketamine state. Until very recently, right. um, so I was reading about uh, John C. Lilly. I don't know if you're familiar with, oh, with John C. Lilly. Um, he's a very fascinating guy. Oh yeah, very fascinating guy. And and oddly enough, the experience that I had is somewhat in relation to the whole concept of uh, what is it, Echo and the SSEs, mm-hmm. the this like competing entities, competing cosmic entities, right. And, and I, I had that in my hallucination. And once I learned that, I just, I was like, I have to, I have to know all about this guy because this is the only person I've ever found that had the experience that I had. Right. And, uh, but it was scary, man. You, you have to be very careful a lot of times. Uh, you know, growing up, I, I smoke weed. I mean, everybody smokes weed, right? Right. And you try a few different things. Sometimes you get addicted, sometimes you don't. And for me, it was just always about having fun. And I feel now that I'm getting to be an old man, it's kind of like, ah, I need to go back and try these things. Uh, not so much as a medicine, because I don't, I, don't, I don't generally like when people use the term of psychedelics as medicine. I, I get why it's used. I, I don't know, man. I, I'm, I'm a pretty big proponent of the the term plant medicine because there are so many benefits to like natural psychedelics for, you mm-hmm. know, like they're doing the clinical trials, you know, with so many things right now, uh, psilocybin, you know, um, MDMA, which people, uh, people like to make the argument that, Oh, MDMA is not a, a naturally, you know, occurring plant medicine. It's like, well, you can't really make MDMA without sassafras. <laughs> so it kind of is, <laughs> I mean, you can synthesize it without it, but you know, you can synthesize, synthesize anything without you can make dmt without mimosa hostilis but yeah i never i never liked the argument uh when i was when i was smoking weed a lot uh you know in my high school and college days i had that same thing we're like i'll only do uh i'll smoke weed or i'll do mushrooms but you know anything else beyond that i don't want to touch it right and and now i i there are substances that i would not touch but to me there's there's no difference right 
Because if, if we're creating and we're part of nature, then by extension, they're just natural substances, right? They don't just come out of the ether. You have to have yeah. some some chemicals somewhere well, to, to make them happen. That goes with anything. I mean, I love when people are like, oh, it's not natural. It's like, oh, fucking everything's natural, man. It didn't come from nowhere. Like, it has <laughs> to have a source. Like, yeah. we made it out of something, and it had to be a natural source. We didn't just pull it from the ether, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, before there was DNA... Could, could you say that like DNA is artificial? I mean, some people say that, right? Right. That DNA is created by some entity or whatever. Who knows? But before, let's just assume these things just combined in nature by themselves, right? right? Before that was the case, does that mean that life is artificial because that it didn't exist beforehand? Exactly. I mean, that's kind of a silly argument to me. So, uh, to me, everything's natural. Just it's a matter of whether you want to partake or not. And I think I think sometimes the argument of natural versus artificial is more of it feels like it's okay to for you to smoke a joint or maybe eat some mushrooms. But, you know, if you get it a hold of like a methamphetamine or something like that, not so much. Right. Right. The, the outcome is a little bit different when you, when you start thinking of these artificial combinations of chemicals. Well, you know, I've got a kind of an interesting perspective on it. Cause I was a, honestly i was like a drug addict for like six years i was addicted to heroin and i was doing whatever i could get my hands on at the time i was in a pretty bad place in my life and just things kind of spiraled and got out of control and i kind of let my feelings get you know anyway the point is i kind of got out of hand for a little bit and I, i didn't really have a good grip on things for a little while so i was into everything at one point but going through recovery and being clean now it really kind of made me look at it like you have to look at it everything from a purely scientific standpoint. Like mm. I don't think there's any bad drugs. I think if it's beneficial to you without causing you harm, yeah. then then go for it. But I think once you start delving into some of those substances, which are more addictive, like methamphetamine or heroin, and they can have a negative impact on your life, then you should probably stay away from those things. So you mm-hmm. have to look at it in the sense of, okay, if I do this, and this this doesn't just limit itself to drugs, this is anything in life. I, I try to weigh everything from that purely scientific standpoint of, will this benefit me, or will it cause me or others harm? If it will cause me or others harm, it's probably not a good decision. Mm-hmm. If it will benefit me, it's probably going to be okay. If it's going to further me or other people and whatever, and cause no one harm, go for it. If it's going to fuck my life up in some way, I probably shouldn't do that, you know? And that comes back to mindfulness. But I don't think there's any bad substances. I don't think drugs are inherently bad. I think that, you know, I think you have you watched the Midnight Gospel yet from Duncan? Yeah, I love that show. Yeah, it's amazing. But, you know, like uh, Dr. Drew said, there's no bad drugs. There's just circumstances. And you can let anything get out of control. I mean, that's true of anything, right? Not necessarily just substances, but any situation you get yourself into, the situation itself it has no good or evil in it, right? We just put those things onto the situation or the substance or the person or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, it, it this is a, a tough conversation to have with, with my wife, for example, because, you know, to her, good and evil is very obvious. Right. And to me, it's, it's not as obvious. It's, it's a lot more gray, I guess. Uh, you know, you can go anywhere in the world and, what you find to be good, they might think is evil, right? Exactly. Like if you're a Christian, a Muslim might think you're evil, right? If you're a, a Buddhist, a, a Taoist might think you're evil, whatever it is. Um, but, you know, she's like, well, what about 
say pedophiles, for example, because that's hot topic in the news. I mean, I, well, I mean, yes, there is some some ultimate thing where you should not be hurting kids, right? And that's the difference. Right. These people hurt children. Does that inherently make the person bad? No, they're they're doing things that is hurting other people, and that inherently makes it bad. Right. Um, at the same, yeah, the whole thing with drugs is is interesting because people do die from drugs, right? But the thing is, Absolutely. do they die? because they abuse the drugs or because they don't understand what it is that they're doing. And, and I think that is a big part of the problem in, in why people end up getting addicted to substances, for example, uh, because they don't understand how it's going to affect them. Right. right? So you, you pulled yourself out of a situation and now you understand that were you to know what you know now, you might've been in a different situation back then. Right. Right. Yeah. That's a big thing. It's like, uh, I talk about this a lot is uh, a lot. Most of the time when people make, bad decisions, you know, in any facet, it's because it's, they just don't know any better at the time. They haven't had the experience. Right. They just don't know. It's, you know, like, uh, say heroin, for example, I thought, you know, that I would be the one person that could fucking do heroin. and be like, oh, I'm not going to get addicted. <laughs> Obviously <laughs> I was an idiot in thinking that at the time, but I was going through a lot of shit and I justified it and I did it. And, but here we are. I wouldn't probably wouldn't be doing this podcast. In fact, I know I wouldn't be doing this podcast if I didn't go through what I went through. So there you go. That's the only way for you to know. And you, you have to have that experience in order for you to figure that out yourself. Right. So I've been talking a lot about authority on my podcast lately because, you know, ultimately that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Are you able to take responsibility for all your actions or not? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and, and that, if, that was a really good episode, by the way. I actually just got you. finished listening to that before we uh, started this. And uh, you brought up some really good points in that one, too. Uh, I really like when you're uh, the Graham Hancock quote that you played. Yes. The, Be yes, your own leader. Yes be your yes. own guide that yep. resonates so much with me because so many people rely on authority to just tell them how to live their life because they don't want to take control of their life. They don't want to take the responsibility of their own life. Yeah. That, uh, that kind of goes with what we're just talking about uh, substance abuse, right? Mm -hmm. If you, if you have something that you can't handle within your own life, it's very easy to go and find a substance or, or, I mean, you can become addicted to anything. You can become addicted to, to a politician, right? Well, that's the easiest thing to do. The easiest, easiest thing to do is to try to just mask it, just throw something over the top of it, try to dull it down when the, the absolute best thing to do is just sit with it. Just sit with it. You, if, if you, it's so hard to be mindful of though, you know, it really is, man, <laughs> because you, you always want to act. You always want to be moving. And, and it's so counterintuitive that the best way for you to move forward is for you to not move at all. Right. And to sit there with that thought mm -hmm. and, and understand why it is that you're having this idea. Um, you know, some of the best ideas come from you not thinking, right. I've had this many a time at work. Uh, so for most of my adult life, I've, I've managed teams of people and, and it's, it's one of those things where it's high pressure, right? And mm -hmm. you're, you always have to be in the move. You're always making decisions and, and you don't have the time to think. You, you're always multitasking. And, and I just came to a point in my life where I said to myself, like, I, I just can't do this this way anymore. Yeah. You know, I, I have to do things one step at a time and, and enjoy the things that I do as I do them. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I was, I, I, I was talking to uh, to Sean Cahill just a little bit. I don't know if you're familiar with Sean. Um, 
he he just posted a video on his YouTube about spoon making. Okay. And and it was so interesting because he he was uh, one of the people that was involved in the uh, the Tic Tac UFO incident. Okay. okay. And he's got a fantastic YouTube channel. He's he's a very mindful guy. I've checked it out. One of the things that I've started doing recently is I started carving my own bow. Oh, that's uh, I've awesome. never been into uh I'm, I'm not a hunter or anything like I was, that i was about to say did you have any prior interest in archery or did it just no not just... at all not okay. at all for for years i started thinking about getting into archery just as a, a meditative practice mm-hmm. and and finally for christmas my wife got me a certificate we have a place near us that uh, has lessons okay and so i went to take a lesson and i was like this is awesome and so as a result i've decided to carve my own bow okay. and and it's been a very interesting process. I've been working on it for like three weeks, nowhere near close to completing it because I'm <laughs> basically using like files and, and small hand yeah, tools. Yeah, you're using hand tools. Yeah, but it's it's such a gratifying process that I hope is even more gratifying when I finish. But it's it's such a gratifying process to to create something from just a piece of wood into this useful tool. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's something that I, I hope I can take into other aspects of my life as well. All right. So my wife, poor thing, she's such a sweetheart. I, I was laughing when, when Dick was telling the story about uh, something like if he, if he looks like he's going to die, he's fine. He's like, like the, the uh, worse it, I look, the better I feel. Yeah, there you go. That's what it was. The worse I look, the better I feel. I, I was laughing because that that's like my relationship with my wife on a daily basis. She is, she's such a sweet <laughs> angel for, for putting up with me. Oh man. Because... Mine too, for sure. <laughs> she is a you know, saint. <laughs> I, I, I dive like really deep into this stuff. You know, we, we take dogs for walks and I do mindful walking. Right. Mm. And, and she knows like at least half of the walk, she probably shouldn't talk to me right. because I'm focusing on like how I take the steps and how I'm doing this. And it just really helps center me just overall and I, I don't know if it's you know you could say it's maybe a an addiction where i've become addicted to figuring out how to be most mindful it's but not, somehow not i feel like that's okay right because it, i'm not hurting myself hopefully and uh, and we'll see how it goes but yeah she's she's a sweet angel for putting up with me uh i it's it's so tough trying to share some experiences with her right Mm-hmm. I think I was telling DJ on that last episode, you know, it's one thing like if you, if you can't tell your wife, like, Oh, you know, I, I ran into the mailbox. Right. Right. But when, how do you explain to her that you see this crazy entity out in space? Right. Like stay, the, this oh, yeah. alien fetus thing, right? Yeah. 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 That's good. How, how do you, how do you tell your wife that you saw this giant alien fetus in space? Right. Well, yeah, you, you're both you floating there. You stare at each other. <laughs> and, and fortunately she hasn't had me committed yet, but, but it's, it's one of those things where it's important to share. The more you feel uncomfortable, the more it's important to share. Right. Right. It's a, uh, you know, I, I told DJ he's got to have a hard time meditating. So that means you need to spend more time meditating. Oh, absolutely. If you're having a hard time doing something or if you're like reticent to do something, then it's probably the exact thing you need to do. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's, but, it, but it's tough because then you have to be tough. responsible for your actions. And, and we hate doing that. So. Yeah. Like, like I was just saying, people, people hate taking responsibility for their own shit. <laughs> yeah, that's true. 
But uh, we'll, we'll see, man. Maybe. All I know is I'm, I'm having a fun time doing the podcast. And uh, How long have you been doing the podcast now? Dude, I just I, – it, what, what am I on? Episode 12, I think. So, oh, so uh, not very like, long. We're like right in the same kind of – Yeah. Thing. I think yeah. we started about the same. So you may have started just a little bit before I did. I started mine at the beginning of May. I've been planning it for like a year or so, and but just hadn't really got all my ducks in a row to, to get everything together. It but yeah. Was, it, it might have been roughly the same time. The, the thing is I do – sometimes I, I go crazy and I'll do like two or three episodes a week. Yeah, I, I did that at like at, the, at first and uh, I have kind of broke out of that. I think I, it's, it goes back to that whole multitasking thing. Like I don't want to get too ahead of myself because I want to, I want each episode to be as good as I can possibly make it. So mm-hmm. I've really been trying to take a little more time with it and do a little more research and, you know, I kind of jumped the gun for a little bit. I was, you know, that, that – kid at Christmas kind of like, Oh, I got my podcast going. And yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, then I was like, all right, we need to like pump the brakes a little bit and just kind of slow down. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is if you're well, and the, the difference is on your show, you always have a guest, right? So that I think that automatically makes it, it, it gives you a limitation as to what schedule you can follow. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm doing this for the most part on my own. So if, if I feel like talking one night, I'll just talk. Uh, I do feel kind of bad right now because the, the last three episodes I put out were over an hour long a piece. Uh, I think the last one was two and a half hours long. Yeah. So I think uh, on the next one, I'll just do like a, a 10 minute episode to kind of balance it out a little bit. Yeah. I, I try to but, keep mine uh, like right around an hour, you know, hour and a half or so. I don't want to make it too yeah. much because I don't want people to lose interest. You know what I mean? And I think if it goes on and, on and on and on, people are like, oh, okay, well, I've heard enough of this shit turn it off yeah you know? yeah but you know exactly. i don't i don't want to make it too short either because then i feel like i'm i'm shortchanging myself and like i said you know or like you said uh i have i always have a guest pretty much mm-hmm. so far i've always had a guest i may do some solo kind of stuff in the future i'm not sure i've thought about it um i've kind of been kicking the idea around i i don't know if anybody wants to listen to me drone on about bullshit for an hour but we'll hey, see why not? <laughs> they might they can skip that episode I, I if they would. don't like it. <laughs> if they don't like it, they can skip it. <laughs> they can no, go no, no. If they don't like that, they can go listen to The Alchemical Mind. Yeah, there you go. See, my my thing is I just I want to do something for myself where I can figure some of these ideas out out loud, right? right. Uh, exactly. when, when I first started doing the show, I used to do like outlines. I, I wrote like full trans- transcripts of the episodes and like it was fine, but I found that it wasn't fun. Right. And right. and listening back, I knew it couldn't be fun for somebody listening because it sounds very robotic when you just have a full script. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and so I I think now that I've kind of found what it is that I want to do and uh, it, it might work a little bit better. We'll, we'll see how it goes. You never know. Yeah. I've noticed that, you know, and I'm still kind of working on that myself. It kind of, it, it takes a little bit to kind of fall into your groove and, you know, kind of fall into who you are because this has been a, just a learning experience for me just over the past couple months that I've been doing it. And then, you know, I don't, I don't know about you, but I get a little bit more comfortable with every episode. Things kind of yeah, seem sure. to flow, flow a little bit better. And, but yeah, I don't script anything. I, I pretty much just kind of stream of consciousness, the whole thing and try to just be an active participant in the conversation. That's one of the things I love about having guests is I, you know, get to bounce off of other people. So I don't just have to, I don't feel the need to have to have a script because yeah, I don't need my, I don't have to carry it by myself. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. I, I, I love your show actually. Uh, Thanks, man. I'm glad that you reached out because uh, I do listen. And it was so funny. I had just listened to your, uh, your Dick Khan episode when you reached out. So uh, it was a, a good timing, I guess. Oh, awesome. But uh, yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, what are your, what are your plans for the future with the show, man? Are you going to keep trucking, keep doing the same thing? And look, we, we've been talking about mindfulness, Justin. So just being uh, in the moment. Be, you should be knowing that. Uh, just I'm being not in playing. the moment, just doing yeah. it. <laughs> I mean, look, here's the thing. I, I have ideas of what I want the show to be and where I want it to go. Right. right. But, but I'm not pushing any of those things. Right. Oh, I mean, be- I would love to have a, a million people listen. Right. And, and for me to do them every day. Yeah, you would be a, f- a fool to try to, to have any expectations whatsoever. As we both know, expectations are the root of heartache. So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, as much as I would like that, I have no expectation of it. I I don't even plan what the next show is going to be, right? right. So I, I constantly have ideas. And if I have something that pops into my head, I'll write it down. But, uh, but I don't know what I'm going to talk about on a particular episode until I sit down and talk about it. Right on. Yeah, uh, me, me neither. I just, my mind just works better that way. Yeah, exactly. I, that's why I said just kind of stream of consciousness and just kind of let my mind go where it goes. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I do plan on having guests. I'm going to have a couple of guests coming up soon. And, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. I just want to see what people find interesting and, and talk about what I find interesting. Right. Because I think ultimately that's that kind of is what gets people to listen, right? It's not – I mean, yes, production value is nice and, you know, having name guests is, is great too. Yeah. But uh, But ultimately it's about – having a passion for, for what it is that you're discussing. And, and I love what I talk about, you oh, know, yeah. uh, the, same here. The fact that I could talk about three hours on, you know, taking back your authority is just crazy to me because <laughs> I was like, how do I do this? Right. And it's not until I sit down and do it that I know exactly how I'm going to do it. You know, the, yeah. The, the answer is to just do it. Dude, just, just let the universe work for you. You know, instead of trying to go up the river you just uh, sit back on your float and, and float downstream and, and see what the river takes you. I think that's the most important yeah. lesson. So it, yeah, it's been fun, man. It's been fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's one thing I love about doing the podcast too. It's just, I can talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about. You know, that's why I reach out to like the people I want to reach out to, you know, like Dick. I, I yeah, just, yeah. I, Dick's great. I thought he was a super, I've been following him on, on Twitter for a long time and I just, I had to get him on the show. I was like, he's going to be an amazing guest. And he was, he was, fucking hilarious honestly yeah, it's great uh, super cool I'll, guy. Uh, I'll send you a few people you should talk to as well um Excellent. You know, what, what i find cool too is you know your show you, you basically focus on i mean i would say you focus on the psychedelic realm for the most part. i mean it's it's it has for the past few episodes yeah. it's kind of been psychedelic related it's really more just about like the initial idea was it, it being about recovery yeah and life and and you know, psychedelic they are using psychedelics in addiction recovery. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where that plays in. And I've always been a huge fan of psychedelics. They've always benefited me in the past. Not not for any like ha ha fun times. That was when I was yeah, younger. Sure. But you know, as I've gotten older, it's been more for like the you know, the the actual benefits of it, not to go have a good time on the weekend. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's because trust me, the, the doses that I was taking for a while were not fun time on the weekend <laughs> doses. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> No, trust me. I know exactly what you mean, man. Uh, it was <laughs> such a weird experience. Uh, one time I, 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 I can't remember what it was. I think it was mushrooms actually. And for some reason I was like, I'm going to watch, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, uh, the Phoenix tapes. No. It's uh, it's like a found footage retelling of the, uh, the Phoenix UFO incident from, I think the mid or late nineties. And, and I started watching this movie all of a sudden I'm in the zone and I'm telling you, man, I, I watched this movie four times <laughs> in an hour and a half. Okay. Cause I would get to a scene. I'm like, I, I just, I've seen this three times already right. and I could tell like the next scene. Anyways, that besides the 
point. Uh, no, I just I, I wanted to mention I love your show, and and what I find interesting is the the amount of people that are becoming so open to discussing this kind of thing, the, the, right. these kind of topics, right? Uh, you know, for for the you know, in the sixties and seventies, well, I guess stopped in the sixties. Everyone talked about it. Everyone was doing something, right. right? LSD for the most part, and then all that stuff got cut off, and it just kind of went underground for a while, and. And the resurgence of interest in using some of these chemicals and substances to improve mental states of all of all sorts, mm-hmm. you know, PTSD and depression, uh, curing addiction, all kinds of things, mm-hmm. is 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 really interesting that it's coming back to the forefront. And I, I hope that it can continue, and 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 not just be limited to particular cities or states, right. but become a federal thing. Yeah, I think that by by opening up the dialogue about it and like openly talking about it, it it kind of helps to normalize it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like like just like happened with marijuana. It, mm-hmm. You know, it was illegal. It's still federally illegal, obviously, but sure. it was a, it, blanket illegal pretty much everywhere in the United States and abroad for however many years. We're not going to get into semantics on that because I don't feel like doing the math, but. <laughs> You know, it was illegal, and then, but it, it slowly worked its way back into the culture, and then, and then it became normalized. You know, it's in movies, and then people talk about it, and they're kind of open about it, and they're like, and it's not a big deal because it's been normalized. Mm-hmm. You know, like the worst drug you can do is alcohol, and it's fucking everywhere. You know, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I uh, matter of fact, I tweeted, I, I tagged you in it today because I, I saw the uh, the chart that you were talking about uh, oh, the, uh, on, on the last episode. The nut harm index. Yes, the harm index. Uh, I mean. Obviously, it shouldn't surprise anybody that a lot of the most harmful things are legal substances, uh, because ultimately a lot of it's about money, right? And up until now, there's been no money in mushrooms, for example. Right. Uh, obviously, that'll change as as it starts becoming legalized. But uh, you know, go, going back to this this topic of uh, regaining your, your authority and, and all that, uh, I think the problem is a lot of times you have this this stigma of if you do drugs, you're just a bad person or there's right. something inherently wrong with you and that's why you're doing drugs. Well, and and if we treat people not as criminals just by wanting to experiment on themselves or find a way to improve themselves, uh, I think ultimately a lot of these problems kind of end up going away, right? right. Um, think about like, I don't think it's the methadone, it's the Ibogaine clinics, I think, in Canada where they just kind of like give people a, a safe place to do drugs. Hmm. Uh, those people don't end up killing themselves or, you know, get hurt out on the street or whatever, because they have a safe place to do them. Right. And yeah, when you, when you, I think when you normalize it like that and, you know, we, we take the stigma away from it, then you start getting into more of that harm reduction aspect of it. It's like mm-hmm. when you give people a safe place to, to do whatever they're doing, you, you do take away a lot of the risk, mm-hmm. you know, and, but it, it goes back to sociological conditioning. You know, that's, yeah, people are, you know, it's ingrained. I'm sure you're what, 38, 39, 38. Yep. Yeah, me too. I'm about to turn 39 in like two weeks. <laughs> so, but you know, I, I'm sure when you were growing up, you had dare in your class and they came in and they were like, yes. Oh, this will make your feet fall off and your eyes cross and your hair fall out. And you don't want to ever yep. do it. Like, and, just, and then you grow up yep. and you, you know, you actually get a little experience with these substances. You're like, they were full of shit. They're just feeding me a bunch of bullshit. Look, I, I I remember our fourth grade play was it was called the Smoke Free Class of Two Thousand. Oh, lovely! 
Okay. And it was all about not smoking weed and not smoking cigarettes. <laughs> that worked out very well for me. Uh, I, I've cut out my smoking a lot, but I mean, I, I instantly quit drinking right. when I had this like crazy experience. It was just like, I don't want to drink anymore. I'm done. Yeah. And I haven't drank in over a year now. And uh, still working in the smoking. You know, that's, that's more of yeah, a... Yeah, man, me too. I have a, a I'm, mindful I'm, habit I'm, kind of thing. I'm three days without a cigarette right now, but uh, that's good. I'm, I'm no, that's off, I've been good. on the vape. My, my my girlfriend hates it. She doesn't smoke, <laughs> and she's like, "I fucking hate when you smoke." I'm like, "I know. I don't yeah. like it either. It's it's killing me slowly, and it smells like shit." Let's be honest. Once you stop smoking and you uh, yeah. get around somebody that's been smoking, you're like, "God damn, I can't." Believe, is that how I smell? Like, yep. I, I've been trying to create some kind of habit where I can just replace that with this new habit. Uh, but at the same time, I, I don't want to do it that way. You know what I mean? Right. I uh, I feel like when when I know that this is wrong, this is exactly at the point where I'm just gonna quit doing it. Uh, until then, I'll I'll do my best. Right. See what what uh what really helped me like because I quit last year for like a few months and then had a really shitty day at work and let it get to me and bummed a cigarette off of somebody yeah. and started right back up. But mm-hmm. the way I did it then is. You know, I just did a lot of reading on it and the craving, you know, pretty much with anything except for like probably heroin or something like that. <laughs> something that you're like viscerally addicted, but the craving only lasts like 20 seconds. Right. So if you can find something to preoccupy your mind for those 20 seconds, you know, what you were talking about, you don't want to find something to replace it with. But mm-hmm. I would like, so I would, every time I thought about wanting to smoke a cigarette, I would just like do like 50 push ups, or I would go for a walk or I would do something that was healthy, you know, something completely opposite spectrum. It was yeah. as bad as cigarettes are for you. I would do something that would be good for me. So I would, you know, like I said, go for a walk or I would do push-ups, or I would do something, whatever it was just to, to take up that time, that 20 second period. And by the time the, you know, I got done doing whatever I was doing, going for a walk or push-ups or whatever it was, I wasn't thinking about smoking anymore. And that worked for me for a while until I was not mindful one day and lit up a cigarette <laughs> Continue to smoke. For, so, continue to smoke for about another year after that. So. Uh, look, every I, I think every smoker has that right where you where you go through periods where you don't smoke and then you get back. Something happens and you get back. Yep. Right, that's your fallback. Yep. And uh, you know what I what I found works for me pretty well lately. And again, it's not a hundred percent because uh, you know nobody can be a hundred percent mindful a hundred percent of the time. But uh, just just having a rubber band on my wrist has, has worked out pretty well mm-hmm. where if I feel like I need to have a cigarette, I'll, I'll slap the rubber band on my wrist. Okay. And it's, it's just uncomfortable enough where I'm like, okay, yeah, I remember this is not something I want to do. It's like a Pavlovian right? response. Like, a- yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. And I mean, you said <laughs> it earlier, right? Ultimately we are animals and we do have certain instincts and, uh, and, and there are ways to break those things yeah, and, behavioral and Pavlovian patterns. is one of them. Yeah. Yeah. You change the behavior patterns. So, uh, you just got to observe them, you know, you got to be observant of, of what it is that you do. That's the only way to change it. Yeah. That's it. You just got to actually pay attention and notice that you're doing it and be like, okay, this is the thing I'm doing now that I've noticed it, acknowledged it. Now I can correct it. Yeah. Well, and I think that becomes hard for people though, because it's so much work to, to always be watching what you're doing, mm. you know? Oh yeah. And it's, it's constant work yeah, all the time. But yeah, I, I think after a while, some of those things just inherently stop and you don't need to 
watch him anymore, right? Because you remember like, oh, yeah, every time I scratch my face, I remember I'm scratching my face. So eventually you just stop scratching your face. Right. Uh, because you know, like, if your hand comes up, you're going to scratch it. Okay, I'm going to just put my hand down. Right. Uh, and, and that's a stupid thing, but it's, it's something that's worked out pretty well for me. Find just the stupidest thing that you do all the time, <laughs> like scratching your face or scratching your butt or whatever, you know what right. I mean? And uh, yeah, it works. It yeah. Works it's, good. it's just developing those uh, good behavioral patterns to replace the old bad ones, basically. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it takes a while, right? It takes what, like two weeks to, to change a behavioral pattern. 10 days, I think it is. Something like 10 that. to 14 days. Yeah. So you just got to be patient. Yeah. Which people have a problem with. I know I, I still get very impatient about things when I know I shouldn't, but I'll catch myself. I'm, I'm a lot better at catching myself on it these days. <laughs> like my, like uh, for instance, my phone is a complete piece of shit and just barely works and functions. And like, I have to sit there and wait, but like somebody at work, I was, I was out back a few weeks ago, smoking a cigarette, obviously. And somebody was, I was like bitching about my phone and they're like, why don't you just get a new one? I was like, yeah, it teaches me patience. <laughs> uh, I don't even have my phone in here. My, my phone is from 2013. Yeah. Uh, the battery lasts like three hours now. Nice. <laughs> but, but I refuse to get a new phone for the same exact reason. I know that if I, if I get a brand new phone, I'm going to want to play with all the new goodies. Right? Oh yeah. I'm going to fall and, right into that. I'm going to be you're gonna fall right super into addicted because it. it's so easy. Yeah. So I just don't even bother. I don't bother. I don't, I don't have any social apps on my phone uh, because I know if I put them on there, I'll be like, Hey, let's see what Twitter has to say or let me see whatever. Right. But uh, yeah, you just gotta, you just gotta mind your habits, man. That's it, man. For sure. Just mind your habits. It's not a, it's not a religious thing. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a life thing. Yeah. It's, 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 that's what I tell people all the time. They're like, uh, like, you know, what religion are you? I'm like, I don't really follow a religion. I mean, I'm kind of Buddhist, but I don't view that as a religion because there's no, you're not worshiping a deity of sorts. You know, it's just, it's a, it's a path for life, you know, mm-hmm. like, which, you know, Christianity as well, but then you've got the Jesus attached to it. So yeah, it becomes a thing. Yeah, well, dude, that's it's every it's every religion it is every religion and the thing you know you were talking earlier you know like saying that you know uh, if you're a muslim then you might not think christians are, or you, you you might think christians are evil or and the, the fucking funny thing about it is every religion across the board even ones that aren't technically religions like buddhism they're all mm-hmm. it's different means to meet the same goal everybody's looking for heaven uh valhalla enlightenment it's all the same thing all the same. But, you know like you said on the the episode with the with the jb or jd it was a uh, the kingdom of heaven lies within you know mm-hmm. so like you can if you want to put it in christian terms like if you want to live in heaven you can choose to live in heaven because heaven is here on earth right or you can choose to live in hell i've done both i choose heaven now because hell sucked <laughs> <laughs> i did it i didn't yeah, li- man. i didn't like it and I, 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 I opted out. <laughs> so, so one thing that I've, I haven't touched on, but it's, it goes exactly with that. Um, I, I don't have any problem with anybody's religious views. Right. right. But, but to me, the, the, the most important part of any religion is that like core mystical nugget in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. The, the little nugget that's been hidden by, any other authority figure, right? A, a priest or an imam or the Dalai Lama, whoever, right? Right. Um, and when you find that little nugget, you do realize that a lot of these things are saying exactly the same thing, just in different terms. 
And and what I find really curious is when you get into some of the uh, some of the mystical aspects, some of the mystical uh, schools, you especially modern ones like Theosophical Society, for example, mm. you you start seeing the same cores, even though they consider themselves mystical schools, start becoming this institutionalized religion, right? And and they lose it, right? Because the the meaning is veiled in a metaphor and people lose the fact that it's simply a metaphor. Yeah. Right. And so when they say like the secret, I've used the secret before on the podcast, <laughs> magic is real, right? Right. You can, you can manifest your reality. Like, yes, that is 100% Absolutely. true, but it doesn't mean that there's some like magical substance permeate, permeating the atmosphere that you can, cold in your hand right. and create like a little golem of reality, right? Like that's not what it means. Right. It's just the the state of mind that you have. Yeah. And you know, I, I don't consider myself a Buddhist either, but like you, I think I relate a lot to Buddhist ideas because I think at its core, it's the most non-religious. Absolutely. Right. And and in some ways the the knowledge that's held there is is very useful in an everyday life uh, where you don't need to worry about, will I get to heaven or will I go to hell or whatever you believe in. Right. And, and to me, that's more important, right? Yeah. Uh, I can't control what I, what's going to happen when I die, but I can control what's happening to me right now. Exactly. And, and to me, it guides me in that direction. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the funny, the, another funny thing about religion is basically the guidelines for every religion religion is, Essentially, just don't be a shithead, you know. Yeah. Whether, whether it's Christianity, Muslim, uh, Buddhism, um, mm-hmm. Dudism, uh, you Dudism. know, just, uh, the Pastafarians. Yeah, whatever you want to pick. It's just uh, Satanism, you know. Just mm-hmm. don't be a shithead. Don't you know? Do anything to intentionally harm others. Yep, and the golden rule. There you right? go. You know yep. that. That's it. Now, now, see when you get into the areas of you know, like Christianity and. Islam, you know, it's like, well, don't harm others, but, you know, and then there's that, but attached to it because you gotta, gotta hype your own brand, man. You know, and that's the big thing. And that's the one thing I I love about Buddhism is it's like, look, everybody's a shithead. You just got to try to navigate your way through it. (laughs) Yes. You you do need to be careful. I think usually it comes off more in, in Buddhist sects, Uh, but, but even in, you know, like Tibetan Buddhism or, or, uh, Zajan or dog Chen or any of the other ones, uh, you do have this kind of thing where our our brand of Buddhism is just a little bit better than the one across the river, right? I think that's just and, human nature. Y- yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but you know, like I said, people people want to stay in power. When you get a little bit of power, you want to continue having that power. Well, it's just like anything else, like nationalism or anything. With you know, everybody wants to be number one. Like we're the best. Like, well, you have you ever tried anything else? Do you do you really know? Have you ever been anywhere else? Have you have you dabbled in other religions? Do you do you know if you're the best? There is, and the thing right. is, there is no best because everybody's seeking the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's why I don't like. You know, I think there there could be a place for like a government or an institutionalized system within a, a belief system. I, I think where I, I really draw the line is when that imposes on my own conscious existence, if that makes yeah, any sense, no, right? It makes so, 100% sense. Uh, 
I, I don't know if you uh, if you know uh, Nassim Harriman, but mm. uh, he 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 posted a, uh, an interesting picture on his Instagram today. Uh, there were there were four pictures, and the first one was a circle, right? And it just said you, and then the second one was a circle and said me, and then the third one was uh, the two circles joined together, right? Like a Mystic Pisces. Oh, it was a Venn diagram. Uh, yes, and it was us. And then it had a uh, a flower of life, so all the circles intertwined, yeah. and it said the world. And and when you think about things in that direction, uh, I think you end up resolving some of these things. Yeah. Where you know you you impose your own well being and and find it higher and more important than the well being of your neighbor, or a complete stranger, mm-hmm. right? A criminal, or someone of a different race, whatever it is. Um, and that's why I like the psychedelic experience because it really kind of shows you that everything is fucking one, man. You are like when you, when you get that really big ego death and you, you, you cease, you cease to exist. And what happens when you cease to exist, you merge with the infinite, you merge with the void mm-hmm. and, and you realize that man, everything like you might be making all this shit up in your head. Maybe you are sure. everything. Maybe they're everything. I mean, everybody's just, I look at everybody like it's myself experiencing a different reality. You know what I'm saying? I like it. Like I, that's how I try to treat everyone else. It's like, it, that's myself experiencing life differently than myself, you know, just in another dimension. That's me in another dimension, basically, but they're experiencing yeah, yeah, yeah. that themselves, you know, it's all subjective. But you, yeah. But you know, it, it's hard for a lot of people to understand that unless they have personal knowledge of that exact experience. Yeah. You need the empirical data on that one you really have to do it you, you i could sit here and tell you about it till i'm blue in the face but until you do it you don't know you know yeah i can try to explain bungee jumping and how fun bungee jumping is. i've never been bungee jumping but i could try to tell you how amazing it is and how <laughs> wonderful it is and had so much fun and it's just the, the most exhilarating thing ever but it, you'll never really know i could sit here and talk about it because language fails the experience Mm-hmm. And and I could experience it differently, right? Maybe I have exactly. a higher tolerance for danger, so I could just jump off the building and be like, "Yeah, that was all right." Right. I don't know what Justin was talking about. Yeah. Uh, I would never do that again. Yeah, yeah. That that happens with psychedelics a lot. Um, yeah. I, I mentioned that. Uh, never mind. I won't talk about that because that's not necessarily <laughs> uh, a, a psychedelic experience. But there was there was an experience I had with a particular substance that I just found not enjoyable at all. Right. And and I didn't have the effect that was expected, and uh, and as a result, I just never touched it again. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. Go going into a a, a a psychedelic state is is very interesting. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if you uh, had a chance to listen to the last episode I did with uh, Greg Lake. He just wrote that. Yep. Uh, okay. We were talking about um, like the difference between a, like a mild dose and a full on psychedelic, you know, cause a lot of, and Terrence McKenna talked about this. He's like, you know, you until you do like five dried grams, which is that 25 to 30 milligram psilocybin dose until you do that, you know, you can take these, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it, this is a pretty much an exact quote. He said, you know, people take little piss ant doses and yeah, when, and think that they're initiated, but you're not even in the, the atrium, you're in the driveway, you know, like mm-hmm. you have to, Really dig deep. Yeah, who was when? Uh, oh God, what's his name? Hamilton. Um, Hamilton Morris. Hamilton Morris. Yes, when when he was on Joe Rogan, he he gave a similar example. Uh, something about you know when people microdose, they'll do like you know a gram or two grams or whatever right. of uh, of mush, 
spectrums and they're like, well, you know, I don't feel any different. It's not going to well, rewire your brain. Yeah, of course. You're, you're doing a microdose, number one, and it's not an instant thing, right? It, you, it's it's a, a situation where you have to continue to do it over a specific period of time. Right. If if you if you want to have the experience where you're like, well, you know, fuck, like this, I, I this get is it. it, right? Yeah, like I get, I it. get it now. Yeah. Uh, doing that little microdose is not going to do anything. No, you've right? got you've got to you've got to get in there. But got to do the work. <laughs> you you got to do the work, man. And the thing is, it's so so hard to do the work. And we touched um, on that on the last on that uh, episode with Greg too. Is like the act of doing it alone, just taking that leap and doing that big macro dose. It can be therapeutic in itself because you're overcoming that that huge fear that you have of of doing it. Because a lot of people mm-hmm. are, you know, they'll take two or you know two or three grams of mushrooms or something, and they're like, "Oh man, that was crazy." And I'm like, well, "Okay, now now do five. Right. And the thing is, if you if you do a heroic dose, it it's not going to kill you. No, not right? at all. You might you might feel like you're dying. Oh, you're gonna you're gonna die in somewhere. <laughs> the old you's for sure gonna die. <laughs> but but the the chemical itself will have no effect on you that will cause you to die. Um, like you said, that's you, why you saw the, the, the nut harm index, psilocybin, safest thing you sure. can do safer than safest thing, marijuana, safer than anything. Yeah. The LD 50 on it is so high anyway. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And the same thing with DMT. I think the LD 50 on DMT is 65 to hundred milligrams per kilogram of body weight. Mm-hmm. And a breakthrough dose is 35 to 50 milligrams. So like good fucking luck, man. <laughs> like if I thought about that when, you know, like when you had Dick on, for example, uh, because I I have considered doing my own extraction. Right. Uh, and it's not a terribly difficult process. My concern is more about, you know, ordering like a, a 10 pound sack of mimosa right. from Amazon and then the FDA show up at my house. Right. right? Uh, that's my concern. But I mean, you can get it very easily online. And, uh, but listening to Dick, I'm like, at first I was like, Man, this guy's just trying DMT on himself. I mean, obviously he's doing research. He, he's writing a book on it, so yeah. he's he's a knowledgeable guy. But then you're right. I thought to myself, well, what what could the LD50 on this thing is? And then I looked it up, and I was like, yeah, like there's no way. You know what I mean? Yeah, it would be absolutely impossible. Yeah, you would have yeah, to have impossible. like, uh, like you would have to have like a just the biggest bowl and like a, just a leaf blower just pumping it straight. <laughs> you know, I mean, like it would be impossible. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was the same thing when, when I used to smoke a lot of weed. Is one of the things that we talked about all the time. Because in order to like get really bad off of smoking weed, mm-hmm. I mean, you'd have to smoke like this entire room full of weed yeah, in like sure. thirty seconds, yeah. right? And, and that's impossible. Uh, you have to you have to burn it all and then inject it into your blood all at the same time. Impossible. Never happens. It reminds me of this. When I was like 15, I met this old hippie guy. He was like, y'all kids smoke weed all wrong. The trick is you got to smoke a bunch of it real fast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I mean, that's true of anything there, right? When, when Native Americans used to smoke tobacco, I mean, tobacco is a hallucinogen. No, for sure. If you smoke it the correct way. Yeah. Uh, But let me tell you, you don't want to get a, a nose pipe and smoke tobacco through your nose it's it is the most enjoyable horrendous experience yeah, it's entirely unenjoyable yeah uh but i mean the high is interesting yeah but i wouldn't recommend it yeah interesting right yeah interesting <laughs> there, there's better ways to do it. it's the same thing you know if you if you drink alcohol uh you know I, we said alcohol is the probably the worst thing you could do to, uh, to get messed up and yet it's the most accepted right yeah 
think about like how much alcohol you have to consume to get drunk, right? And even if it only takes you a couple of shots of something, the the number of molecules in that thing, right? Compared to something like cannabis or psilocybin yeah. or DMT, is enormous. Yeah, it's enormous. Yeah, it's a completely different animal. And then you have terrible side effects. So oh, for sure, the, the worst side effects. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm glad I quit drinking. Yeah, man, I just quit drinking again recently. I, I got to that point where I was like, oh, I, th- I think I can handle having a couple beers every now. Nah, man, I'm I'm a fucking asshole when I get drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, I mean, I was never, I wouldn't consider myself an alcoholic, but I I definitely love to partake. Yeah, I, I was and, I wasn't uh, an alcoholic in the sense that I didn't wake up and need to have it, but I would definitely use yeah. the term problem drinker. Mm. That was me. Yeah. We're- where you kind of have half a bottle after a tough day at work or whatever. Yeah. No, no, I'm not never half a bottle, but like rest assured if I had, there was like a line, you know, and once you get past that yeah. at a certain point, like something clicks and you're like, and you just, I just, my personality changed, you know, and I just, yeah, I was not myself, you know, I just, I would, I guess a lot of, I have a lot of fucking issues I haven't worked through and all that shit would come out when I drank, you know what I'm saying? And, and mm-hmm. it wasn't pretty, yeah. so I just don't do it anymore. Yeah, I uh, I used to be a big drink, gin drinker. And, oh, me too. Uh, gin and tonics oh, were my favorite. Yeah, gin and tonic. It's man. Yeah, see. Yeah, twist a lot, so, man. Uh, <laughs> I I I I still have the the last bottle of gin that I bought is still in my freezer. Uh, there's not much left. I mean, there's probably you know enough for a couple shots. Uh, but I just I kept it in there. Uh, the grim reminder. Just to see, <laughs> yeah, well, just to see, yeah. you know. Because I, I see it every day, yeah. and every day I look at it, and I have no interest in, in consuming it. So uh, to me, that's kind of a win, regardless yeah. of, of whether I overdrink or not. Yeah, yeah. especially having it there. then Because, I, you know, as somebody who, I guess, used to enjoy it very much, there is that little bit of temptation and to be able to have it in there and just be like, nah, I don't want it. It shows a lot of progress. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think when you can when you can physically confront it and not have the impetus to actually part take yeah uh is when you've kind of succeeded over that thing you know yeah i would agree um, not just booze but anything we were talking about uh graham hancock earlier what do you think about yeah. him and uh randall carlson's proposition about the uh the younger driest cataclysm all right so <laughs> i love it man I, I i mean there's so much evidence pointing <laughs> towards that like i i'm just so compelled yeah. by by their argument and even uh even michael Shermer has uh yeah, he's turned around. He's flipped his, his script. Yeah. 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 Uh, so so my original skeptic. idea for <laughs> professional skeptic, yes. My uh, my original idea for the podcast was actually to do kind of that kind of topic. Um, but I decided not to hmm. when uh, when the guy that I talked to about being a co-host kind of dropped out. Uh, he, he's a good friend of mine. We've known each other for years, but he's just too busy. And, uh, you know, I... I've become friends with uh, Mike from the Mind Escape podcast, for example. And I was like, well, I don't want to do a podcast that's like these guys, right? Because I never listen to these guys. Right. Uh, so I, I decided to go in a different direction on, on mine. But yeah, I, I love it, man. Uh, I've, I've read all of Graham's books, except uh, which one did I not read? Underworld. But I've read all the other ones. And uh, I, I love... Underworld was his, uh, that's his the model, one where right? Yes, yes. Uh, but I mean, it's like partially based on some archaeological oh, evidence. How could it not be uh, if it's written by Graham? Yeah, Hancock. of course, <laughs> it's Graham, and uh, and Randall's just Randall is a wealth of knowledge. Man. Oh man, he's like, he's amazing. 
yeah, he's amazing. Uh, I don't know if you listen to Cosmographia, Mm-mm. his podcast. Yeah, you should listen to that. Uh, check it out. Uh, he's got a podcast with uh, Brad. That's his the guy that he works with, and then the uh, the Brothers of the Serpent, who also have their separate podcast, right and and they just talk about Young Adrius. Uh, yeah, I think it's fascinating. I think it's one hundred percent true. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, just so much evidence there, pointing. There's been a ton of evidence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's been a ton of evidence. Uh, even even this year, they're still finding stuff. And yeah, I just watched uh, I just watched the latest video from Uncharted X. I don't know if you subscribe to him. Uh, he he deals with these kind of topics, okay. and he he usually looks at archi- art, uh, architecture, for example. And he just did a video on the Egyptian labyrinth mm. that's under the pyramids. Uh, really fascinating stuff. He, he he just had an episode a couple weeks ago about Machu Picchu, okay. and and the the way that I bring it up is this: if if we've been around as long as archaeological evidence suggests, right, um, there is no way that we have not had advanced civilization in the past. Now, did they have computers or spaceships or anything like that? I don't know. Right. There's no there's no evidence to point to that. Um, well, except maybe like uh, what's what's the one at Dendera, the, the hieroglyphs with the, uh, the helicopter. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's uh, aside from that. I've, I, there's no evidence. Right. And there's no physical evidence. But I mean, those buildings, we can't build those buildings. Yeah, exactly. We didn't. We struggled to even <laughs> understand how they were built, much less build them. You know, we have no idea how they've uh, they, they sh- the fact that they're perfectly aligned north south east west you know the, the sheer size of these buildings just the sheer size of the stones of these buildings and that you want us to believe that they rolled these things in on logs from 500 miles away like get the fuck out of here like seriously let's be realistic that's mm-hmm. come on man yeah there's no way yeah you know, they had the great how they were built i don't know they had the greatest computers in the world man their minds so maybe they were functioning so, at some higher consciousness level and, you know, fucking who knows, who knows that's, we just don't know. And that's the fascinating thing about it. Have you read uh you said you read all of Graham's books. Have you, have you read uh, America before? Yeah. No, that was super yeah. good. Yep. That's the last one. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read that. Yeah. It's uh yeah. The Americas are interesting, man. I think there's the problem is there's been what, like 400 feet of sea level rise. Yeah. This is a Jungle Dryas. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at right now the the numbers of people that live within, you know, whatever that ends up being, four hundred feet above sea level, uh, um, it's like sixty, seventy percent of people. You know what I mean? Most people live on a seaboard of some sort. Oh, absolutely. So if if the seas rise is four hundred feet. I mean, the the where I'm at in South Carolina, the beach would be right outside my house. Yeah. Okay, and it would take me right now four hours to drive to the beach. So, the the amount of sites that are hidden under those waves oh, for sure. is just enormous. Yeah, I'm I'm in I'm on the Gulf, uh, Gulf Coast of Florida, man. So, <laughs> oh, see, there you go. Yeah. Like you, you guys are already being threatened by sea level rise. Oh man, I could. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, there's just so much land, like uh, you know, Daga land in in northern Europe. That's all undersea. Mm-hmm. Uh, the stuff in the uh, the Azores, that's all underwater, aside from a couple islands. 
Southeast Asia, you know, in the Jungle Dryas, all that was above sea level. Now it's just islands. Yep. So, yeah. yes, I think it's all true. Yeah, me, me too. And I, and I do wonder, I do wonder if people like Homo sapiens built it, right? That's the thing I don't know. Right. That's the big Whether, question. Is, is, yeah, was there, question. Uh, you know, an advanced civilization that was wiped out? I think that that is that is the well, burning and my, question. And, and the thing is, is it Homo sapiens, right? Because maybe it's a uh, Denisovans or Neanderthals or something else we don't know about. Yeah, we just don't know. <laughs> don't know. Yeah, I, I love that stuff, man. Yeah, me too, man. Yeah. Oh well, shit, man. It's been super cool talking to you. We'll have to do this again sometime, man. Keep in Absolutely, touch with man. me. And, uh, Anytime. Do um, you got anything? Anything cool coming up, or anything you want to want to plug, or? Uh. Well, by the time this comes out, I'll be doing it's it's gonna be so weird. I'm doing the most uncomfortable meditation. I'm gonna be that doing amazing. A, a one minute of silence on the podcast. Oh and awesome. uh I, I've already tested it out with somebody and they hated it. So uh I can't wait for everybody to hate it. Oh man, that sounds amazing. I was gonna <laughs> before this whole uh pandemic thing kicked off, I had uh made reservations. I was gonna do a Vipassana retreat, a ten day nice. silent retreat. And uh Obviously, that fell through because everything going on, mm-hmm. but I'm going to try to do that as soon as possible. I'm very much looking forward to that. I'm just going to see how long it'll last. I'm going to try to do the whole 10 days, obviously, but you know who knows? A lot of people cave pretty quick. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I hear. I, uh, I, I talked to my wife about me doing one of those, and uh, I think now that I'm in between careers, mm-hmm. uh, it might be the perfect time for me to do it. Yeah. We'll see. Why not? Yeah. I said, you just got to show up and participate, man. There you go, man. There you go. (laughs) Cool, man. Well, hey, man, let's do it again. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime.